So if you remember back in January, we began the year looking at Psalm 23, this idea of the Lord is our shepherd, and we said that that's what's called a confidence psalm. David's not necessarily asking for anything. He's really not even thanking God. He's, he's just saying, here's some things that are true about God and about how he is relating to me. And we said, we wanna grow in confidence over the course of the year that Jesus is our good shepherd. The, the opening line of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want or I lack nothing. And we said, to lack nothing, that, that doesn't mean to say the Lord is my shepherd, I get everything I want, or the Lord is my shepherd, everything works out the way I want. But it's to say, I lack nothing or, or I don't want. And those are, those are not necessarily the same things. And we said we wanted to grow in our confidence that that's true of us. But shepherd and sheep imagery for most of us is pretty foreign. We don't, we don't think that way very often. And so we were using a book to help us. It's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. We had a bunch out there at nine, but they scavenged. So there's one. So sorry, you can blame those guys. You can grab that or you can order it if you want. It's devotional. It's not um, a technical look at sheep and shepherds. It's written by a guy who was a shepherd. And he's saying, here's, here's some, let me unpack some of this picture for y'all. And, and many of us find that helpful. We're actually, we're not gonna look at Psalm 23 for these next few weeks, but that'll be running in the kind of the background uh, underneath what we're doing. Uh, we'll be looking at two of the most well-known New Testament passages that talk about Jesus as our shepherd, John 10, and then the parable of the lost sheep in Luke, uh, in Luke 15. So I, I need to give you some background before we get into John 10. John 10 comes after John 9, you knew that. And the... <laughs> the the, the, the story in John 9 bleeds into chapter 10. And, and, and in John 9, Jesus heals a man who was born blind. It's a very profound and powerful miracle. And it's so startling that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, investigate. And as they investigate, they realize they've got a dilemma on their hands. They've got this miracle that's undeniable. There's a guy who was blind who can now see they go to the point, they even bring the guy's parents in to say, was he really blind? I mean, that's, they, they investigated a pretty deep level, but the healing took place on, on Saturday, on the Sabbath, and that's a no-no. If you heal someone who's in a life-threatening situation, that's okay. Blindness is not life-threatening. So in the Pharisees' mind, Jesus sinned. He broke the law by healing on the Sabbath. And the way he healed the guy is pretty gross. He spit in dirt on the ground, made mud, and then put it on the guy's eyes. That's considered work as well. Making mud was considered work. So two strikes against Jesus. He heals this guy who's born blind, but he does it in such a way that's offensive to the Pharisees. And in their mind is, is, is sinful. And so they're kind of caught. What do we do? They've already decided, all the way back in chapter five, they've already decided Jesus is public enemy number one. He is not to be followed. He's not to be trusted. He is an enemy of what they are trying to do. So they're, they're hostile to him anyway, and this is compounding that hostility. And so they bring in this guy, and they, as you read John 9, the, the intensity of the interrogation just kind of steps up till, till at the end, the guy who's, who was healed, he's exasperated, and he says to them, listen, I think Jesus came from God. There's no other explanation. H how else did he open my eyes? Nobody's ever heard of that. How else did he did that? Where, where did the power come from if it didn't come from God? And the response of the religious leaders is they blame him. 
You were steeped in sin at birth. The reason you're blind is because of some sins you committed in your mother's womb. They shame him. Who are you to talk to? Who are you to lecture us is what they say. And then they excommunicate him. They kick him out of the synagogue. So that's their response to this guy who has this profound miracle. The best day of his life, he's gone from being blind to being able to see. There are no accommodations in this day and age. If you're blind, you're a beggar and you're hanging on by a thread. His whole life changes in an instant. And their response is blame, shame, and excommunication. And Jesus circles back with the guy, actually reveals himself to him as a son of God. So his physical eyes and his spiritual eyes are opened. Again, best day of his life. And, that, and then Jesus follows up with the Pharisees with these parables. When we think of parables, John 10 doesn't necessarily sound like parables to us in the traditional sense, but, but they are. Jesus is using some stories that he's made up from real life to communicate spiritual truth. That's what a parable is. There's, there are connection points that help make the story sticky, but there's spiritual truth that Jesus is communicating through it, and he's using the imagery of shepherds and sheep to say to the religious leaders, y'all are not legitimate leaders of these people. That, that's what he's communicating in John 10. So we'll read the first 10 verses with that background in mind. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen, so I'm gonna use the word courtyard. It's the same word, and it, it paints a bit of a different picture that I think will be helpful uh, for understanding in a minute. Anyone who does not enter the courtyard by the gate, same word as door, uh, so I'm going to use the word door. Anyone who does not enter the courtyard by the door but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens the door for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who've come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. So just one more bit of background. Um, in the Old Testament, shepherds are leaders and sheep are people. That's, that's language that the Old Testament used to describe the people of Israel. At times, God would call the leaders of the people shepherds and he would call the people sheep. And so Jesus is using that Old Testament imagery combined with what these people know, sheep and shepherds, that's part of their everyday life, to communicate these truths about who is a true shepherd and who is an illegitimate shepherd. So these two stories, these two parables are set in two different places. The first one, verses one through five, that's in town. So not uncommon for a family to own one, two, three, four sheep, and the sheep stayed in your house. That's where you kept them. Or potentially you had a courtyard adjacent to your house that was walled in. And in the morning, a shepherd would come and knock on your door, and you would open the door to them, or your, whoever did that in your house, the doorkeeper of your house would open the door. They know the shepherd, and so they would send the sheep out. The shepherd would take them out to graze for the day. And a shepherd may do that for four families or five families or six families. He's only taken a handful of sheep from each house. These aren't massive commercial um, operations. This is, a, this is a family with just a few sheep. 
And so that's, that's the picture in, in one through five. In town, family, small number of sheep. Shepherd knocks at the door in the morning. He's recognized by the doorkeeper and the sheep are released to him for the day and then brought back at night. Verse seven through 10, it's, it's a different picture. It's a summertime parable. In the summer, shepherds would take sheep into the wilderness in the open country and they would, they would live out there for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks at a time. And at night, they would bring the sheep into these things called sheep folds. There's one behind me. And the shepherd would actually sleep in that gap at night. So when seven through 10, when Jesus says, I'm the gate, he's saying like, that's me right there. I'm the gate in that fence. And so the shepherd would sleep there. And the only way for a sheep to get out was to go through him. And the only way for a, a rustler or a predator to come in was to go through him. It's a picture of protection. And Jesus is saying that that's me. So in town, y'all, you know that. Some of you have sheep. I'm the guy that's knocking on your door in the morning that, that you trust and that you give your sheep to. And then when, when we're talking open country, larger number of sheep in the summer, I'm the guy who's with the sheep and I at night and positioning myself in this spot of protection and in the morning provision. The sheep go out from me. And they are able to um, graze. What Jesus, again, is trying to communicate is, I'm a legitimate shepherd. I'm the legitimate shepherd. Ezekiel 34 is one of the passages where you see sheep-shepherd language in the Old Testament. God is condemning the leaders of Israel in that passage because of their treatment of the people. And he says about them, this is what you're doing. You're eating the curds from the sheep, you're clothing yourself from the wool of the sheep, and you're killing the choice animals to eat them. You're exploiting them. You're using the people for your own benefit. You're not taking care of them at all. You're not binding up the broken. You're not healing the sick. You're not uh, going after those that have strayed away. You're just abusing them for your own purposes. And in verse 23, God says, I'm changing everything. I'm gonna send another shepherd from the line of David. He's gonna take care of the sheep. He's gonna be their shepherd. And we know the Fulfillment of that promise is Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the son of David, the one that God sent to take care of his people. When I look at that first parable, and you may think this is a stretch. I don't think it is, though. though when I think about that doorkeeper, I think it's the father. And the shepherd is Jesus. And the father recognizes him because the father assigned Jesus with this job of caring for his people. Jesus is saying, he's saying it indirectly. He'll say it directly with the passage we look at next, next week. He's saying it indirectly, but he is saying it clearly. I, I'm the legitimate shepherd. I, I'm the one who is recognized by the doorkeeper. I'm entrusted with the flock. The father is entrusting his people to me. Again, at this point, this is not how things started with Jesus and the religious leaders in John. You can go back Chapter two, chapter three, it's not nearly as hostile, but it gets bad quick. And at this point, they are, they're, they're, they're very far apart. The religious leaders are actively opposing Jesus and everything he's doing. So his, his language, as you're listening, you're like, that may sound really stark as we unpack, but recognize, like, there, there was years of building to this. It's not a snap thing from Jesus. It's a, it's a, he's, he's acknowledging their stubborn refusal 
to embrace who he is and what God is doing through him. So he's saying, you guys are not, y'all aren't legitimate shepherds. There's a chart behind me. It's a way that I would look at some of the contrasts in this, these 10 verses. Jesus is saying, I'm the true shepherd, the doorkeeper. He recognizes me. I go in through the door. You guys, y'all are strangers. You're thieves. You're robbers. You're climbing in over the walls because you're not legitimate. The doorkeeper doesn't know who you are. The sheep know me. They know my voice. They don't know you. They don't know your voice. They follow me. They don't, it's not even that they don't follow you. They actually run away from you, which is what sheep do when they're scared. They don't want anything to do with you. I, I protect. I'm that gate in that spot in the sheepfold at night. I, I bring abundant life. I provide. I save. People, the sheep come in and out and they graze because I'm, creating space for them. All that's metaphorical language for provision. Y'all steal and kill and destroy. That sounds like you're eating the curds of the sheep and you're shearing the sheep and you're killing them for your own food. You're not in it for them. In Matthew 23, there are these seven woes. You never wanna be woed by Jesus. It's a bad spot. And he, he woes the religious leaders. He says to them, here's what y'all are doing. You, you tie up heavy loads and put them on the shoulders of people and you don't do anything to help them. You travel over land and sea to make a convert and when you do, that convert's twice as much a son or daughter of hell as you are. You don't enter the kingdom of God and you prevent those who want to from entering. You think about that. Jesus says, I'm the gate. Y'all are a wall. You're not letting anybody in. This, it, that stealing and killing and destroying. Think about what they did to this guy in John 9 who was healed. The, their response to this profound work of God in his life is blame, shame, and excommunication. They didn't do anything to help that guy relate to the Lord at all. If Jesus doesn't circle back with him, who knows what happens? They, they rob people of an opportunity to relate to God. They kill people's souls. They destroy their lives by piling all of these burdens on folks that are super difficult to, to honor and that don't help you become more like Jesus and that don't help you connect with God at all. He's saying to them, y'all are not legitimate leaders of the people I am. And we'll look some more at that next week. So a few things for us, just a few takeaways. You may have some others. One, and this is very basic, but I do think it's something, it slips my mind all the time. I'm a sheep, and so are you. If I gave you a sheet of paper and said, write down everything that's true about you, how far down the list does sheep land? We don't think that way. We don't. If I said even, tell me your identity in Jesus, how far down is sheep? Let's just not... We think of being sons and daughters. We think of that because that's, that's part of our life. We know what it's like to be in a family. When was the last time you saw a sheep or a shepherd? You don't, we don't, that's just not part of our everyday. And so it's easy for those things to not be front of mind when we're thinking about our relationship with the Lord, but it's a big picture, Old Testament and New Testament. It's a dominant image and there's truth there for us. And so if nothing else over the next few weeks, I hope we get that kind of drilled a little bit deeper in our hearts. I'm a sheep and you're a sheep. And sheep need shepherds. 
We said this in January, the well-being and welfare of a sheep is wholly dependent, 100%, on the skill and care of of their shepherd. If you see a healthy sheep, then they have a shepherd who knows what he's doing and who cares about what he's doing. Every time. Sheep cannot take care of themselves. And what do we say about us? We're sheep. So what does that mean about us? We can't take care of ourselves. That's a hard one for a lot of us. It's not where we live. To acknowledge, I can't can't take care of myself. I don't know what's best. I don't know the right road. If you leave this to me, I'm gonna wreck it. That is, that's, for most of us, that's foreign. And even if on some intellectual level, we can say, okay, that's true. We don't live out of that. We don't live as sheep who know I need a good shepherd. I need a true and legitimate shepherd or I am in trouble. If I'm going to flourish in my life, then I need somebody who knows what they're doing and who cares about me. And Jesus is the one. The father who formed and knit you together in your mother's womb, who knows you better than you know yourself. He said, it's this guy. I'm gonna pick somebody else. None of these other guys worked. I'm gonna pick somebody else. And it's his son, Jesus. He's, he's the one. And he's the only one. We'll see next week, I'm the good shepherd. That word good is true. Good as opposed to false or illegitimate, not good as opposed to bad. He's the only one who the Father has said is skilled enough and cares enough to manage your life and to manage my life. I'm a sheep and I need a shepherd. Psalm 23, you remember what it says. Again, it's, it's written from the perspective of a sheep bragging on his shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not want, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by quiet waters. He leads me in the right paths. He walks with me through the dark valley. His rod, his staff, they comfort me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. It's all about what he does for us. It's the sheep saying to the other sheep, look at my guy. That's what they're saying. You need to be a part of this flock. Look how well he treats us. Look how skillful he is in managing our lives. Look how much he cares. You're sheep, I'm a sheep, and we need a shepherd. And the Father's given us one. He's given us the best one. The true one is Jesus. His care for us, it looks like leading and providing and protecting. That's what he says in John 10. I go before the sheep, they follow me. We've said before, shepherds in the in the ancient Near East where the Bible said they lead their sheep from the front, they don't drive them from the back. They encounter the difficulty before the flock does. They make the decision on where to go before the flock gets there. Jesus' most basic invitation to his disciples is two words, follow me. He's a trustworthy shepherd and we can do that. He provides for us. He says, I've come that you would have abundant life. I'm not just trying to get something from you. Curds or wool or meat. 
not interested. I lay, we'll see next week, I laid out my life for you. I'm, I provide what you need. I protect, I'm that gate, I keep you safe. I'm watching over you. That Last week we looked at that word from 1 Peter 2. We return to Jesus, the shepherd and overseer of our soul, to oversee, to watch over, to protect, to superintend, to guard. It's a strong word. Jesus said, that's what I am to you. He is our shepherd. He's the one appointed by the Father and he leads and he protects and he provides for us. And I just to close on this, we'll spend a little bit more, a little bit more time on it. We know his voice. He speaks to us. We hear him and we know his voice. Out of we've been doing this as a body for about 15 years. I think our church has been around. This is the thing that causes people the most heartburn that we talk about. That God speaks to every one of us. You don't have to just, you don't have to listen to me. The Holy Spirit lives within you, same one that lives within me. And he guides us into all truth. When we say God speaks, we don't, he doesn't speak audibly through your ears. It's, there's an internal knowing. There's an internal sense of, of leading. Think about 1 Kings 19. He's not in the fire and he's not in the wind and he's not in the earthquake. He's in this still small voice. Some people think the voice of God is undeniable. It's not. He has made himself ignorable. When people talk about this undeniable pull, it's almost always retrospectively. In the, in the moment, there's almost always question, is this really the Lord? He's looking for people who trust him or are willing to take a risk. He's looking for hearts that are submitted to him, not to people that are stubborn that he's got to yell at. We can cultivate hearts that are sensitive to his voice. Two primary ways he speaks to us are through the Bible and through the Holy Spirit. The Bible is a revelation of who God is, of how God wants to interact with us, of how God wants us to interact with him and others, and of what he's doing in the world. That's what the Bible is. And so we read it. We're reading through the Bible in a year as a church. If you've fallen off the wagon, you're halfway through the year. And if you got lost sometime either in Leviticus or in the middle of March, here's, get back on the, like get back in the saddle. You can either pick up on whatever your plan is for June 11th and you just miss what, what happened between when you quit and today, or you can pick back up where you left off. It doesn't matter to me. There, there isn't a wrong. Just read it. Just begin to read it. So hear this, not as, I'm not coming down on you, it's true. If we're not reading the Bible, we're ignoring God. Like when we say, God, speak to me, he's going, I did. You have seven of them on your shelf. Just pick one. It's all there. It's all there. And you can understand it. And if you struggle to understand it, send me an email, david at stonebridgemarietta.org. And I'll help you figure it out. I'm not smarter than anybody else, but I can point you in some directions that will hopefully help you get confident in your ability to hear the Lord through the Bible. This is meant to be understood and obeyed. When Jesus in the Great Commission, he doesn't just say teach, he says teach them to obey. This is given to us as 
revelation for life, not just information for our heads. And the Holy Spirit wants to lead you and me into the truth of it. So start reading it. And if you get stuck, just keep reading it. Reach out if you need, if you need some help. We also have the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And he leads and guides us in those personal, individual kinds of decisions. The Bible is true for our people, in all places, for all times. The Bible doesn't tell you to marry. It doesn't tell you what to major in. It doesn't tell you where to send your kid to school. It's not in there. But the Holy Spirit can lead you and guide you into those things. If you'll ask him and, again, kind of cultivate an ear, to, an ear, not an ear, an ear to hear him. The Holy Spirit tends to speak through thoughts and images and feelings. Those three things. Again, it's not a, he doesn't sound like James Earl Jones. He sounds like you, just better. That's, that's what he sounds like. If you have a thought and you're like, you know what? That was kinder than me. That's probably the Lord. If a picture of a person flashes through your mind, you're like, I haven't thought about them in a long time. That's probably the Lord. It's that simple. It's that simple. If you've ever had Kim, who's on our staff, if she's ever prayed for you, I guarantee you this is what she said. I see a picture, fill in the blank. That's how God speaks to her. And for some of you, that's how God speaks to you. You see a picture. You may not know what it means, and that's okay, but that's what you see a picture. For some people, it's more of a feeling, either an emotion or like a gut leading, pushing. And we can cultivate all of that. If you're one of his sheep, he says about you, like this is him, this is not me. He says, you know his voice. He says, you hear him. So either he's wrong or you do. And you can. For some of you, this is Maybe it's a bit frustrating. I'm trying so hard. You don't, you don't need to. You don't need to try hard. You just relax. It's his job to speak. That's not yours. It's not yours to make him talk. You couldn't even if you wanted to. He's God. You can just relax. God, would you direct me in this? You, I'm a sheep. I don't know where to go. I'm a sheep. I don't know what to do. I'm a sheep. I'm going to mess this thing up. I'm looking to you, the true shepherd, the one that the Father said was best for me. And so I need you to lead me in this and see what he does. And remove some of the preconceptions of what that sounds like. Not a lightning bolt, it's not an audible voice, it's not undeniable, it's not King James English. Still small thoughts, impressions, feelings that are better than you. I never would have thought of that. It's those types of things. He, he, you can ignore him, for sure. He tends to whisper. But you can also cultivate an ear to hear him, even in the midst of all of the noise of your life. And you don't have to be special to do that. It's for, it's, that's all of us. He wants to speak to us. He's given us his word. Clear revelation. 
of his character, of his actions, of his plan for us and for the world. And he's given us the spirit to lead us and guide us and direct us in all of the daily, personal, individual decisions of our life. So as we, as we close this morning, we're gonna take communion. The way we do that here, you'll come forward a row at a time, break off a piece of bread, dip it in the juice. There's gluten-free communion and then the, the, the packaged uh, communion here. A couple of things I want you thinking about. We'll also have ministry teams. We'll pray with you about anything that you have going on. Uh, we do wanna pray for people who are sick. That's something that a lot of times we pair with communion. Psalm 103, he forgives us of all of our sins and heals us of our diseases. Both of those things are benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection. And so we wanna pray. Whether that's a chronic condition for you or something that's acute, we wanna pray that God would heal you. And the, the prayer teams will make a cross on your wrist with oil. It's not magic, it's just an outward sign of what we believe to be the Holy Spirit's work in your body. And so we're just gonna ask God to, to heal you and we leave what that looks like up to him. We don't do kind of the, if it's your will to heal, we just say, God, we're desiring to see healing and whatever that looks like, that's, that's up to you. And so that's what that will be if you're, um, if you're sick and you desire somebody to pray for you. And I would encourage you to do that. We'd also love to pray for you if this whole idea of God speaking to you, if that either causes you heartburn or heartache, we would love to pray with you about that. Nobody's gonna try to kind of talk you through it or counsel you through it. They're just gonna pray that God would speak to you in a way that you would understand. He knows best. And that's what we're gonna pray. And we're gonna ask him to do that this week. God, would you speak to whoever this week in a way that he or she would understand? And again, we're gonna trust him with that. And you don't need to feel any ounce of pressure to conjure something up. I heard God this week. You don't need to do any of that. You just relax, create a little bit of space in the, maybe to read a little bit of the Bible maybe to sit quietly for 30 seconds or 60 seconds and just let that be that. And we'll trust him to speak to you in those, in those carved out moments or just in the ongoing flow of your life. So I'm gonna lead us in a little bit of prayer. Uh, then Chad will come and lead us in worship. We'll have, again, communion and ministry. We will come forward a row at a time and we would invite you to do both of those things, take communion and receive prayer. We, will, we do have two stations up here. It can be a little bit of a traffic jam. So when you're coming forward, you can just pick whichever person is open. And when you're walking away from the communion station, just get your head up so, so you don't bang into the people who are behind you. All right, I'm gonna say a prayer and you guys can uh, pray with me if you're willing to do so. So first, if you're willing to pray this, Holy Spirit, would you, and you can pray all this um, in your own heart. You don't say it out loud. Holy Spirit, would you search me and know me? And would you show me where I'm going astray? Isaiah 53, 6 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Would you show me where I've gone astray or where I am currently going astray? That's a better one. Show me where I'm currently going astray. if something came to your mind and you're willing to confess and repent, and if something came to your mind, that's, that's the Lord. And you can pray something like this, God, I confess that in this area, and you can fill in the blank, I'm, I'm going astray. 
I'm doing my own thing. I'm not following the good shepherd. I pray that you would forgive me for that. And I want to receive your forgiveness right now. And I pray that you would give me grace moving forward in this area of my life. To trust you. The one who leads and protects and provides. You're my good shepherd. And I want to follow you. God, I want to pray for those who are sick. Particularly those who uh, have chronic illness. I pray that um, you would move my... If you can open the eyes of a guy who was born blind, then there's nothing that's too hard for you. And we pray that you would heal bodies today. God, we pray that in the midst of people's sickness and suffering that they turn towards you and not away. We pray that you would have mercy on everyone in this room who is in pain. And God, we pray that you would bring healing, whatever that looks like. We're asking you to do that. God, we pray for all of us that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. For those of us who struggle to read and to understand the Bible, I pray that you would give us insight, give us the help that we need to be able to meet you in this book, to learn and to grow, to be formed and to be shaped. And we pray that you give us all sensitive hearts to the leading of your spirit as well. We want to keep in step with you. We want to acknowledge we're sheep and we need a shepherd. And we're grateful for the one that you sent. And we're grateful that he's not just our shepherd, that he's also the lamb. who willingly gave his life so that we could be adopted into your family, so that we could be a member of your flock. And so, God, we pray that all of the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection would be applied into all of the lives of the people in this room this morning. In his name, amen.